Hey guys, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the Scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. I'm Zach, and I'm here with Krista. This is episode 39. Hi! Third Nephi 12 through 16, uh, part two of a two-part episode. So if you haven't yet listened to last episode, Third Nephi uh, I think it was 7 through 11, 6 through 11. Um, go back and listen to that one because it'll help set up for what we're going to talk about in this episode. But that's where we're at. Yeah, sort of the, which is what we're going to get, kin, ooh, what we're going to continue to talk about um, in this week's study tip as well. Yeah. Last week, um, we mentioned in our study tip the difference between doctrines and principles um, so again, if you want to go back and listen to that, but what, as I was listening to it again, what I thought is we, we weren't as practical. So we identified what a doctrine and a principle is just briefly. Doctrines are truths about God that make us love him or want us to be with him. Principles are applications for us on how to get closer to him. So last episode, we studied looking for doctrines about the savior that make us love him. And this episode, we're going to focus on principles and how we can get closer to him. But in your own personal study, it's important that you search for doctrines and principles. So um, here are some practical ways to find doctrines and principles in your scripture study. Doctrines, Elder Bednar once said, that doctrines answer the why questions in our lives. So a really easy way to find doctrines in the scriptures is if you come across a verse that tells someone to do something, it's a commandment or an injunction to act in a certain way, you ask yourself why. And maybe it requires you look back through the verse or back through the chapter even to identify why. Why should someone do that? And almost inevitably, it will be a connection to God and his plan of salvation. And so to read a verse about scripture study, if you search, it'll connect you to God. There'll be a doctrine in there that that God wants to talk to his people. God wants to reveal truth to his people, and therefore he has given us scripture. Therefore, we should search the scriptures. So the whys are there. God wants to talk to his people. Principles, Elder Bednar says, answer the what or the how questions. Um, and so principles are where you search going, what should I do? Or how should I do it? Um, sometimes these are really easy if you try and put them into an if-I-then format. So look through a scripture block looking for something that, that fits that model. If I do this, then this will happen. This result will happen. Or even simpler than that is just simply I will. Look through a scripture block and identify something that you will or you should or you feel you should do. Often what I found is that doctrines and principles are taught in the same block of scripture. Prophets and apostles want to teach both doctrines and principles. They want us to know more about God and love him more, but they also have the commandment to extend his commandments to us and tell us what we should do to get closer to him. So in your scripture study, look for truths about God um, by answering the why questions. Why should I do this? And then look for principles. What should I do or how should I do this? I also think this, we've kind of gone back and forth between doing study tips and teaching tips, but I also think breaking it down into this format of whys and whats is a really powerful teaching tool 
So if you are teaching about doctrines and principles, or if you're just teaching anything, starting with the whys is the number one way to go when you're teaching anything. Teach them the reasons behind what they're doing. And then the what's come naturally, which I like how you said that, that often they're in the same scripture block. That makes a lot of sense, right? We're going to learn why we do it, and then we're going to learn what or how we do. In fact, if you want a really um, kind of uh, invigorating study to give to youth, either your own children or teenagers or, or those that maybe you teach in a, in a church calling, um, go with them to a scripture block and identify the verse that they've probably read a hundred times before that is most often a principle. So we're teaching them a lesson on paying tithing. Let's look at the verse about paying tithing. What should you do? Pay tithing. Identify that in the first minute or two and then ask them the question, okay, that's a great what? It's a great principle. Why should we do it? Will you go back to Malachi and read, why should we pay tithing? Go back to Malachi chapter 3. Will you just read in there and see what it is that the Lord tells us about why we should pay tithing? Or Malachi chapter 4. Of course, we know that there's the, the, the commandment to turn our hearts to our fathers, and we apply that to genealogy. But, but why? Why should we do that? Because youth love answering why questions. Our children love answering why questions. So if you want a fun study for them, respect their intelligence by acknowledging that you're going to read a verse that they've read a hundred times, and the easy answer is, what should we do based on this verse? We should do this. But then give them the challenging study of, now you search the block and find the why. And they really, really like it. That resonates with teenagers especially really well. Yeah. Okay. The why. The why, the why. Why. All right. Um, brief review of last episode. Again, go back and listen to it. But um, we talked about some truths of the Savior that made us love him more. And in this block today, there's a couple more that we wanted to just briefly overview. In chapter 15, the Savior identifies himself as the lawgiver specifically the higher lawgiver. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in our study today. In chapter 16, he introduces himself as the shepherd. He tells the Nephites, you are the other sheep who I was talking about when I told the people at Jerusalem, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. And he talks about how he'll go after them and save them. Again, just beautiful truths that make us love him. In chapter 17, which we're going to get to next time, but there's this beautiful scene where he's just filled with compassion and blesses their children and prays for them. And it just is awesome. You want a place to love the Savior. You read these chapters looking for doctrines. Why should I follow the Savior? And almost every single verse has something in it about him that makes you love him more. But what we want to focus on in this episode is what can we do to come closer to him? Assuming that we love him and that we're motivated to do it, what does he teach us about how we can come closer to him? Now, it's an interesting block because uh, 3 Nephi 12 through 14 is called the Sermon at the Temple, but it is, and it even says in the introduction, uh, comparable almost in many places word for word to the Sermon on the Mount. If that bothers you in, in Matthew, in Matthew five, right, six and seven, right, right yeah. in the New Testament. Uh, by the way, if that bothers you, um, it shouldn't. Yeah, sometimes people get upset that wait a minute, Joseph Smith wrote down this, and it's word for word the same as in the Bible. Well, of course it is. Joseph knows the Bible, and so if he's translating Third Nephi and he sees something that sounds familiar, um, 
can we fault him for opening up the New Testament and reading along and using the language of the Savior in the New Testament, something he loves and relies on to dictate further revelation? However, it is not an exact copy. I've heard people say that 3 Nephi is just a knockoff of the New Testament. It's just a cheap imitation, and it is not. Um, there are some really rich details in 3 Nephi 12 through 14 that aren't in Matthew 5 through 7 that make this study different and interesting. And one of them happens right at the beginning. So 3 Nephi chapter 12, you know that the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. But right in verse 3, the Savior adds something here at the Sermon of the Temple that he doesn't put in Matthew 5. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit who come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now he doesn't repeat that in the next couple of verses, but you can assume that he means it. That come unto me should be applied to all of those verses. In verse 20 in chapter 12, Therefore, this is also added in 3 Nephi, therefore, come unto me and be ye saved. And then at the very end, this verse is famous as well, therefore, I would that you should be perfect even as I or your Father who is in heaven is perfect. In all of these cases, the Savior inserts himself as the one to be followed, as the example, as the exemplar. And it's fitting because in 3 Nephi 12, compared to Matthew 5, he's completed his work. He's performed the atonement. He's been resurrected. He's been glorified. He is now um, not just the foreordained Savior or Messiah. He is and has been and has completed the work of the Savior and Messiah. And so the Sermon of the Temple is a little bit different than the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon of the Temple is, here's how you can come unto me and be perfected like I have been perfected. Here's how you can do what I have done because I have done what the Father wanted and now I'm like him. And so we want to give a couple of things that he teaches. Of course, there's many more in here for your study, but a couple of things that he teaches that can help us come unto the Savior and become perfected like him. So to start us off here, we're going to start with maybe some familiar phrases that we know from the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and the first one is found in chapter 12, verse 13. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I give unto you to be the salt of the earth. And then in verse 14, verily, verily, I say unto you, I give unto you to be the light of this people. And in verse 16, therefore, let your light so shine before this people that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. I can't help but listen to that one. We had that one as our family scripture for a while, like a couple of years ago. Do you remember? And um, so Isla, yeah, Isla would would get really excited about the light. So shine. She'd get really excited. To say if that. you want to, if you have young kids, if you want a good scripture to memorize, do that one and do some fun actions with it. Cause uh-huh. I went back and watched the video actually just not recently. And it was adorable. It was like a little two year old. So what I want to say about these verses is we're talking about how we can come unto, unto Jesus Christ. And I think that it helps set up how we can come unto him when he sees, when he tells us who he wants us to be and how he views us. 
Um, and this gives us exactly that. Salt of the earth. What does that mean? What is salt? What is he teaching us? Well, salt is a preserver. <laughs> is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Preserver. Um, salt gives flavor and gives savor to things. Um, and just these deep teachings about something that I remember studying it years ago and kind of getting into really depth on it. And it became cooler the more you thought about it. And it's like, oh, it's because Jesus created the world. So of course he knows what salt does. Yeah. And he's using this example. But I want you to be, I want you to preserve goodness. I want you to bring flavor. I want you to bring life. I want you to enhance. Yes. Um, enhance living. Those are all things that go with salt, right? So why would we want to come unto him? Because look at what he wants us to do. Mm-hmm. He want, we are we are that for him. Um, and then the next one is we talk about, I don't know, was there anything else you wanted Mm-mm, to add no. to that? And then as we talk about light, um, another, of course, beautiful analogy that we all love, that light of the world. And in Matthew, he says that he is the light of the world. And in this, he's talking specifically to us. How can we come unto him? Well, he wants us to be his light. Yeah. So he says, I already read these, but be the light of this people. Therefore, let your light so shine. And I think it's important for us to know how do we come unto him? We do that as we share his light. I I think you made the point, but the difference between this and Matthew is in Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world. But here he clarifies, I give unto you to be the light of the world. I hear people misquote, or not misquote, misapply Matthew 5 all the time, where they'll talk about, we need to be an example. We need to talk about what we're doing. We need to be good examples to the world. And while there's nothing wrong with being a good example, I don't think that's what the Savior meant. Or at the very least, that's not what he meant to the Nephites in 3 Nephi 12. This message isn't, go out and be an example and do great things and let people admire you. It's, I am the light, and I'm giving you a portion of my light to share with the world. You share my light. That's the light. And the same thing with the salt. I'm the preserver. I'm the flavor. I'm the one that brings excitement to life. I'm the one that makes life worth living. I give unto you to be the salt of the earth. There's nothing inherently, and this sounds maybe harsh, but there's nothing inherently salty or light about you If you are separated from me, I give unto you to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so uh, that that work is I I share his light. So how do I come into the Savior? I I share his light or I share his his salt, his preservation, his his savor with others. Which is kind of interesting to put it into that perspective because I think it happens simultaneously almost that we're as we come unto him, Mm -hmm. we gain light in ourselves that makes us want to maybe be a light or to spread his his goodness that he is those things and we're kind of magnifying it i love that story and actually maybe some of you did not know this but zach was a blogger before we started our podcast very accomplished blogger (laughs) all six people that read it well you know what he wanted to do was just write down his thoughts somewhere and kind of what we're doing now just you know, there's just people that like to talk, and Zach happens to be I one like of those. To talk <laughs> or type. That was my qualification. <laughs> but the name of his um, blog was the Lower Light, 
and I want you to tell you, sh- you need to tell that story just the, briefly the story of well, what the, what it means to be a light. I it, love the analogy of this. It, it story. comes from my favorite hymn um, in the hymn book. Um, Brightly beams our Father's mercy, and in that hymn, there's the phrase, "The lower lights, let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor, fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save." And I've always loved that hymn, but I didn't understand what the word "lower lights" meant or the phrase "lower lights." until someone explained it to me. And uh, anciently, and even modern in modern times, there will be a lighthouse that's, the job of the lighthouse is to guide boats that are out in the harbor, or about out in the ocean, safely into the harbor. That's the job of the lighthouse. The problem is, if a boat is coming in at a specific angle, it runs the danger of running into rocks that are close in the harbor. And so what they'll do is they'll set up lower lights along the harbor, and sometimes even out on the rocks, so that the boat will see the lighthouse and know where to go, but then see the lower lights and know how to get there. And so the hymn is really beautiful. Brightly beams our Father's mercy from his lighthouse evermore, but to us he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. He's the light. We should never seek to replace him. We should never seek to overshadow him. We should never seek to set in front of him. However, he does give unto us to be lower lights. Um, and by us sharing that greater light in our small ways, we can help guide people to the source of light. Yeah, the leading of people towards the real, the real leader, the greater light. Yeah, I love that. A couple of verses that I found. Um, these are additional ones that aren't in Matthew. This is verses forty-six and forty-seven. It's right before verse forty-eight, where the Savior commands us to be perfect, and that is in Matthew. But 46 and 47 are completely unique to 3 Nephi 12. So they say, Therefore those things which were of old time, which were under the law, meaning the law of Moses, in me are all fulfilled. Old things are done away, and all things have become new. One of the wrestles, and we'll talk more about this when we get to Matthew, when we do our our, uh, scripture study project, Matthew or New Testament, is in the Sermon on the Mount, he's replacing the old law of Moses with the higher law that he brings, which makes for a really simple but powerful principle. If I want to come closer to the Savior, I need to follow his law and not be glued to the laws of the past, the old law. Not that those were bad, but I need to be following his newer law. And what that looks like for us, I think, is there's a lot of old laws that we have in the church, a lot of old traditions and old ways of doing things that were not bad, and they're still not bad. But if we want, I hear people bear testimony, and I do too, of this is the true and living church. And I think we have an understanding of what true means, but I don't know if we have an understanding of what living means. Living things live they do new things every day. And so for this to be a living church, it means that it's moving, that it's breathing, that it's changing. God, of course, doesn't change, but he's bringing this church, this living church, bit by bit closer to him. Modern prophets and apostles give modern revelation that may indeed contradict past revelation. Again, not because God is changing, but because we're getting closer to living the way that he wants us to live. And if you want to come closer to the Savior, there's no better way than to uh, let the old laws lie and obey these new things that come from God. 
Um, all things have become new in him. And it's right after that verse that he says, therefore, and therefore is always a connecting word. You look back at the verses before. So therefore, I would that you should be perfect, even as I or your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, so maybe there, as you look at your life, are there things you're doing that are reliant on tradition? Are there modern revelations, modern invitations or challenges coming from prophets and apostles that you haven't uh, obeyed or aren't obeying yet? And if not, what can you do to, to I don't know, get in line with new, modern, um, Christ-directed, Christ-given revelation? So something I noticed starting in chapter 13, um, he tells us a few specific things to do. The first one in verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you that I would that ye should do alms unto the poor, but take heed that ye do not do your alms before men to be seen. And then, well, I think I actually noticed these ones first, because in verse 6, he talks about pray, about prayer, that we should enter into our closets, shut the door, and pray to the Father, and thy Father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Then in verse 18, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father who is in secret. And thy father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So the word that was kind of, for me, a little confu confusing or that I kept noticing was the secret. And I thought, especially as we studied about the light and being a light, and I thought, here's all these things that he is telling us to be secretive about. And I shouldn't say secretive. That's probably the wrong word. But what does that mean to do those things in secret? Um, and why? Why do those in secret when the chapter before he just got done telling us to be a light to the right. world? Right, yeah. And so I really like that thought. And some of the things that as we were discussing, I think one of the things, if you look at these, you're giving to the poor, um, prayer, and fasting. These are all very personal personal ways in which we come to the Savior. Mm -hmm. So. You, there's nothing more personal than pr than prayer. That's how we really come unto the Savior is through prayer. And even fasting, it's a very personal connection that we're making to God. Um, and so it's kind of that fine line, I guess, between... Yeah, and I wonder I wonder if the, the line is with prayer and with fasting and with doing alms or service... Those are things that we do individually to connect to the Savior. It's about me. If I were to tell people about prayer, I'd be telling, telling them about what I did, or especially if I told them about my alms or my service, I would be tell them, telling them about something that I did. And I think in the world we live in, that's becoming kind of trendy. Um, and we have to be careful because there is that line. Because we do want to be a light and we do want to share and spread those things. But I think there's a difference between I'm sharing what I did which I shouldn't do. I should be doing these in secret. My relationship with the Savior, my relationship with God is developed in my closet. It's developed on my knees. It's developed in those quiet moments when I'm talking to him and he's talking back. However, the difference between that and the light is, like we pointed out, um, to share, to be a light to the world, we are sharing the light of Christ. And so I wonder if the simple line is, tell people about God. Tell people about Jesus. Tell them everything about him. Share that light as far and as wide as you possibly can. But you don't need to tell them about um, 
the the specific things you're doing to serve your neighbor or the specific things that you say in your prayer to connect to him. Um, I almost get a sense of gossip almost like he wants a personal relationship with you that is sacred and special. And for me to go and share that with the world out of a sense of self-aggrandizement is different. Now, I think there's a difference between that and telling people about prayer in a sense of testimony. I prayed to God and he said, he he talked back, he listened to me and I felt this and he said this. That's different. But yeah, again, you're, you're bearing testimony that what, what Jesus Christ is teaching us is mm-hmm. really works. Right. So like, I will say that all the time. Like for me, my powerful witnesses of, of God, of a Jesus Christ have come through prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you don't go into the detail and say, well, when I pray, I always do this, this, and this, and this to set yourself up as a light. Or yeah. To do again, something. it's shining. It's where you, mm-hmm. where are you shining that light? That's a good to. way to think about it. I'm shining the light on God as opposed to I'm shining the light mm-hmm. on me. And that, yeah, that's just a tricky line. Mm-hmm. But there was an interesting with um, President Nelson's last uh Fireside, face to face, that he gave with the youth. I don't know if they called that one a face to face, but he, he talked about a worldwide devotional where he talked about, and you know, what became the cool thing was the fast, the social media fast, which is awesome. But one thing I noticed that he specifically said in there, which I thought of when I read this, like fasting, I think fasting from anything, like he specifically mentioned, like, this is a personal thing. Mm-hmm. You're fasting, it's personal. And I thought, oh, we think of fasting as food, but I, when you're fasting from anything. And again, I don't think it's bad to then go back and say, here's what God did I, for me because of my right, fasting. I fasted from food or social media or whatever you're fasting from. And I was very spiritually filled through this process. Mm-hmm. But I think again, where's where are you shining that light yeah. toward? I like that this all comes back to how do we come closer to the Savior? Just to summarize, we come closer to him by shining his light, by by sharing his salt, his preservation, his savor. Uh, we come closer to him by attaching ourselves to new commandments, to new revelation, and maybe even seeking our own inspiration and revelation, and not just relying on things that happened 20 years ago. Um and then we come closer to him by praying in secret and fasting in secret and serving in secret. And our Father that sees those things in secret will reward us with a rich and robust relationship with him and with our Savior. To end off here, um, this is from chapter 13, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. As I read that, I just thought of one of my favorite verses that has really been a guidepost for me in my life, and maybe that verse too. This comes from Ezra Taft Benson. When we put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. Our love of the Lord will govern the claims for our affection, the demands on our time, the interests we pursue, and the order of our priorities, that as we come unto him, he really will direct us and guide us in everything that we do. And there is really nothing better than that, of knowing that you are following the Savior of the world, the, the true light. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode and for listening to all of our past episodes, for sharing this with friends, with those that you think this might help. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and your feedback. We're still collecting study tips and uh, questions. If you have something you'd like us to address on our episodes, we would love to do that. Thank you for participating, and we will see you next episode. See ya!